this is not a recruitment podcast. Welcome back to uh, another episode of Powered by People, um, the Not Recruitment podcast, where we talk a lot about recruitment. Um, we are joined uh, by uh, the lovely Rose Hargreaves from Klarna. I would also like to welcome my co-host today, Ben Leeson, our brand experience director here at the Rec Hub. Um, and today's topic uh, or topics, we're going to be discussing a lot about women in talent and women in recruitment. Rose has come from an agency background. Um, why don't you give yourself a little intro, Rose? Yes. Um, so my agency background would probably be primarily Michael Page, uh, where I worked at the senior consultant level. I moved to Klarna, been here just under two years now, working on their global talent acquisition team. And I also recently had a baby. <laughs> my beautiful daughter Mia is just over one years old now so just kind of learning being a mum and working at the same time just... and that's uh what we're going to incorporate a lot of today's podcast around returning to work after mat leave which Rose has got some uh, some amazing stats on scary stats but but great things that we can we can look at to to improve the industry as a whole um, female leaders and female managers and, and, you know, particularly how some of those positive traits can, can, uh, can be influenced. Um, and networking with colleagues. I think, um, a lot of the recruitment industry tends to be, uh, uh, you know, probably not favorable to parents, um, particularly, although it did allow me to meet my wife. So, uh, we'll come to that later. <laughs> um, Cool. So, um, why don't we kick off with uh, your your experience, Rose? L- you know, landing, having a baby, and then coming back to work. How's that been? Yeah, it was an interesting one uh, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, my uh, husband also works at Klarna, so um, that was quite interesting navigating that around parental leave. Yeah. And um, Klarna, being a Swedish company, have quite a positive outlook with regards to um, parental leave for males. They have a non a gender bias so as a man you can have 20 weeks full pay um that's amazing to be fair yeah 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 um and he kind of took that in the middle um of Mia being around six months so um he got some time to spend with her when she was actually like eating and being a bit more like um not just wanting mum yeah um I'm at that stage my, yeah. my daughter's three months and I'm I get no looking she cares nothing for me yeah, especially if you're breastfeeding, I think it's it's just all about the mum at the start. Um, so it's quite nice that you could take it a little bit later. Um, but was it, what was interesting is more so kind of coming back. Um, obviously, um, at a time that's so scary right now for anyone really, but especially people in talent. 100%, yeah. Um, when I first got back, uh, my team were kind of like, one of the things that we got told is we're not making necessarily active hires for 20 when you hear that as a recruiter, alarm bells go off, right? So what the fuck am I going to do? Um, so that was kind of scary. And, and also just in general, the, there's a lot of 
people out there in similar boats. So, and I think just, I think when you're younger, before you have a baby, the job market can be a scary place, but God, add a baby to an equation and they're just, there's just a lot more kind of fear around it. Um, my, um, my wife was made redundant three months before giving birth. Um, and yeah, pure panic sets in, you know, what, what am I, who the hell is going to employ a pretty heavily pregnant woman? Yes. Um, luckily enough, she, she was, um, she had a payout and that sort of got us through, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's having, a, you know, being pregnant, having a baby and employment is just a whole scary world, isn't it? What were some of the stats that you talked about, um, with regards to firstly women coming back to work, but some of the stats around people, women staying in work after having a baby. Yeah. Um, so quite some alarming stats. This is from a report uh, from a, a, a magazine called Careers After Babies, and it was uh, done by someone called Jessica Hayagreen. So she surveyed 848 women, and 24% of the women um, who go back to work full-time, sorry, only 24% of the women go back to work full-time after children. That's a huge number, isn't it? And And... You know, we were talking earlier about actually our companies offering other opportunities for people, um, which aren't full-time opportunities, which is uh, an interesting one. Yeah. And then out of that, 57% of them leave within two years due to either redundancy or mental health issues, which is just staggering. Wow. Yeah. If the, if those mental health issues, I mean, it's... Yeah, redundancy is a, a crazy one, isn't it? Because it's almost as, assumed they're being made redundant because of the fact that they either are, are not able to perform, or they're, you know, that the assumption that they're maybe their minds elsewhere, or you know, whatever it might be, um, or there's potentially a, a more productive person available. I don't know, but when you talk about redundancy, it's is that role really being made redundant, or is it the person yeah. that that maybe they're trying to to get rid of? Um, and then, uh, yeah, mental health issues. What do you think the the main causes of those mental health issues might be? I know we're speculating, but in your experience. Okay. For me, um, when I was on maternity leave, I had this really glamorous idea, very naive idea that maternity leave was going to be like brunch with mums, yeah. uh, <laughs> Prosecco in one hand and then like baby in the pram, punching the other side. I genuinely thought... wishes. Yeah, that's what it was going to be. But man, I did not expect just how lonely maternity leave was and how isolating that was. So before you even go back to work, you have this leaving, living, breathing, breathing baby that you're meant to look after that you've never done before. Um, and it, and it's very lonely because you do feel like you're doing it yourself a lot, a lot of the time. And um, as we were kind of talking, talking earlier about like... Um, You've just never done this before and you don't know kind of um, what the right thing is to do always. Yes. Um, so when you then get thrust back into work and you're kind of expected to pick up everything um, when you've been out of it for a year, your brain genuinely turns into much flinking up a baby because you don't remember um, how to do certain things and a lot of stuff just gets filtered out. Um, so I think, uh, I guess a lot of it can be around just the the quick change and, and I think it's the people in your current workplace that expect you to be able to just pick things up exactly how you left off and that you'll be in the exact same headspace I think and that's completely not the case is it you know also when you're coming back you're 
there, there's an anxiety, right? Because you're worrying about you, you, this is the first time you spend six months or 12 months just wholly dedicated to this little, keeping this little thing alive. And then you're right, going back to work. Oh shit. What, what are they okay? Um, and, and that, that can cause a lot of anxiety for, for people, I suppose. Speaking second hand experience from, from my wife and her being off about two kids that there is a, a huge sense of, of isolation, right? You could have a really powerful and positive network around you of support, but to your point, Rosa, I think she still definitely felt like she's kind of in it alone to a certain degree. And whether that was because of the dependencies or breastfeeding or, or anything like that, but must be really, really hard. And particularly going back is your, the organization you've had back to hasn't put in plans a phased return or you haven't been using your keep in touch days and you go through and kind of being in this in this bubble to then being dropped straight back into work do your job yeah yeah hiring that with see probably the again don't know but assume that the mum guilt of going back to work as excited as you might be yeah that that's a real thing right yeah oh oh yeah mum guilt is real like um as much as you have people telling you um no you know like it's 2023 like we shouldn't be, be judging there's a lot of judgment that does happen what? the amount of quite like um people that uh would say to me like oh are you going back to work do you not do you not worry about that I, the, tone, the tone that you said it in already says a lot doesn't yeah, it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and it and it just exists and you're already feeling that and anyway like regardless you know you're already feeling that and you know the fear of missing out is just so real um but it's it's a it, it's a real big challenge that for me anyway which i didn't really foresee as much um going into it it's the the challenge is uh, at that time is separating you're not just a mum yeah. you know what I mean? you you have your own aspirations career aspirations and uh, as well as being a good mum and and those things aren't you know they don't go together um, and, and it's in some people's eyes, they don't go together. And so you can be a great mum and you can have an amazing career. Yeah. Uh, you obviously need the right company that's going to be able to support you in, in, in going through that, I suppose. It's uh, being a working mum is glamorized a little bit in kind of our modern society and through social media or whatnot. Do you, do you think that? Yeah, I do. I think there's definitely this idea of like, they can have it all. Like they yeah. can balance being like completely top of their A game and putting in those extra hours at work, motivating a team and then coming back and being like this awesome uh, wife if you're in a traditional setup, you know, for your husband. And then at the same time being this like inspirational, like passionate mum who is, it's just, it's a lot of labels, I think. And it's a lot to balance. And I definitely think there's an, feels like there's an expectation that that should be okay and that you should be able to do handle all those different kind of titles i guess yeah that's a tough one and i feel like i mean it's social media has the the pros and the cons right it's the angel and the devil but at the same time i think there's definitely this look at it's kind of de-influencing trend that's coming up i feel like people are across social media now particularly looking for more relatable content and more relatable people yeah and i think that that's definitely a trend that i think is, is going to progress and then all these kind of hyper macro influencers are, are seeing drops in following and drops in engagement because people want they want reality right you want to, yeah. as a as a mum or as a woman going back to work you want to see the people are struggling with it at the same time not 
phone on one in one hand, baby on the hip, yeah. set herself bye bye bye. Like, yeah, double work. I think you're, you're right. I definitely think it is changing, and I think people are really craving authenticity anyway on on social media for sure. Like if I see anything like that, I just scroll past and I'm like, well, that doesn't exist. <laughs> but but um, so I think people are relating more to the vulnerability, which is good, and I think it's it is getting there. But for me anyway, I definitely still felt that there was this balance that I needed to achieve, which I don't know if I'm def- there yet, but maybe someday. We're all a work in progress, so don't worry. Um, I think what's really interesting is, uh, and you mentioned this before, that potentially for the companies that are getting this right, that are providing a really good, you know, welcome back to, to, to the working world for um, women after having having given birth, but also, in, in, you know, maybe before they even land back, the keep in touch days and maybe even, you know, the support for that that new mum within the within the company there's there's opportunity there but for companies that are getting it right there's a huge opportunity for talent for, for another talent pool there isn't there um because if you know the, these working mums are can be amazing at their role but they seem to be forgotten or, or maybe put to one side because of the fact that they have a child at home yeah absolutely and i think um it's that that what you kind of talked about in terms of the keeping in touch days for me would have been I think astronomically different if, if that would have changed I think I would have felt much more still included because I think yeah. there's an element that you're away and you feel a bit removed and you were talking previous about losing your identity that I definitely felt like I lost my identity and just became this person of I'm just a mum now and that's all I'll just a bottle be yeah <laughs> um, yeah yeah or a towel um so um so yeah, I think keeping in touch days is kind of maybe overlooked as just, but it, it really would be, I think it would feel nice to have more of that um, in a business to feel still part of something, yeah. um, which is really important. And to know that you've got a bit of um, an extra, because obviously you've got your friends and your family, but then mm-hmm. like you say, that isn't just who you are. There, You have your work identity as well and having that external out of your your close knit circle, having those external contact points with friends from work and and that sort of thing is another support infrastructure that that new mums could potentially leverage, right? Yeah, I I didn't actually know I was uh, I didn't realise I had a work identity, or I didn't know didn't realise that was part of me until I stopped work yeah. and until I left, and I kind of realised, oh, I've got nothing else to talk about. <laughs> Um, I I didn't think I was like that, but I I definitely um, enjoy talking about work and um, enjoy kind of what I do. And, and it, as soon as it was taken away from me a little bit, I was kind of like, "This is what I like. Uh, yes. This is why I enjoy. And this is it, this is part of who I am." A hundred percent. And I think that. So, like I say, get if you if companies can get that right, there's a whole talent pool of of, of amazing mums there, um, waiting for for good opportunities. I think. How do you find, let's just go back a little bit. You've obviously moved from Michael Page to Klarna. What was the initial uh, decision to go from the dark side to in-house? Yeah, so I was actually at Michael Page. I was recruiting recruiters. Um, So that was was quite interesting. Um, And then I um, obviously am now recruiting analytics, which is quite different. Um, But for me, I felt like, there's massive pros to being uh, within an agency, which I definitely think there's way more of a team spirit within an agency. 
Um, there's more kind of positivity when you're making a hire or there's a bit more excitement around it. When I make a placement now, it doesn't necessarily, it was very much, okay, this is your job. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's really different. Um, but for me, I felt like, um, the reason moving, uh, to Klarna is I just wanted to see the other side of it. Um, I wanted to be very much embedded within a company and feel like I could maybe have more influence around, um, policies and maybe work to 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 kind of better in the company in that sense so yeah. for me i wanted to be more embedded with the company at the time it felt now a lot of women in agency where i i don't think you know there are fantastic maternity policies within the, the recruitment agency world as a whole i know there are some fantastic companies that are doing it really well but as a whole i don't I'm not sure that, that that's potentially the case do you think that that would have affected your decision to have a child at, you know, or, or maybe even your return back to work if you were still agency side. Funnily enough, I think, uh, uh, Michael Page, I think, uh, I don't think it would have made a difference. Made a difference. I had a really supportive team at Michael Page and a fantastic manager. Um, so I feel like I would have been very much supported, but I do feel like with Klarna having that Swedish influence, I do feel like there's more scope around. Um, the Scandinavians do it. They do, they do. Okay. Um, and there's just the, the in terms of their expectations are slightly different than an agency would be in terms of actually being present in the office as well. Um, so I think, um, I don't think it would have determined either way, but I think... So you get a bit more flexibility on the remote working. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. Um, it's more just, not just like a new benefit, it's just this is what we do. Yeah, it's the way of... Yeah. Yeah. It's not a COVID benefit. No. <laughs> always... Um, and again, speaking from my wife and her return to work after our two kids, it was, um, there's never, or there was never any, and maybe she was just unlucky, but there was never any real kind of onboarding again. So if you think as businesses, we always prioritize new hires, right? Their candidate experience needs to be phenomenal. They need to be onboarded properly. You need to go through this really strict onboarding plan and make sure everything is ticked off. Whereas a return to work for a working a working parent that's been off for potentially anything up to a year, arguably that onboarding needs to be just as good. Right? Actually, it needs to be better because this person has already given you years of service or you hear lots of service and yeah. they've kind of been loyal to your brand. They want to come back, but you're almost, I mean, the case was almost seen like as a bit of a, an annoyance or a hindrance, whereas new people being onboarded were like celebrated and welcomed, which it's just a bit of a weird dichotomy, isn't it? How like when you go off, you kind of almost outside out of mind. Absolutely. And and it really is needed because you're so nervous coming back. You you actually get quite insecure, I think, as a new mum because I don't know, because you're so removed from it. You feel like you you maybe not talented anymore in that regard and imposter syndrome. Set. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So But also like you said, you've been spent you spent a year going goo goo gaga yeah. and and you've not been like, your brain's not been firing on all cylinders for, for that part of your life. And then you're, you're expected just to switch all of the other stuff off, but then switch that back on and, and you're good to go when it doesn't work like that. And you still have this part of your brain that's thinking about your baby and if your baby's okay. Yeah. Like, and it, it's quite um, consuming as well. So yeah, it's a really weird, nervous time coming back. So I think um, an onboarding would be massively beneficial it's like a rebuilding is it yeah a rebuilding. yeah how yeah. you've just coined it a rebuilding <laughs> over a yeah i love it but also how much particularly with these 
tech scale-ups and startups, how much changes in a year? Like, they could be using an entire different ATS. They could be using, oh, the whole team could be changed. The hiring managers could be changed. The processes that you've worked to could be completely different. And then you're expected to just go and do your normal job. And actually, it's, it's not the no- the job that I left anymore. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Klana's exemplary, like that is Klana to a T in terms of changes. They they talk a lot, if you've been at Klana for two years, you, it's basically 10 years in another company. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that's, and, and, and one of the things why it's so amazing, because it's always changing and it's always challenging and it keeps people really kind of invested in the company. But at the same time, like being away for a year, as I was, I bought just under a year, um, the changes that the company had seen, particularly this year, was was crazy. And I came back to a different team, a different manager. Um, so that's all very different. And I think in terms of the stat, uh, it says women that come back into different roles after maternity leave, 79% of those women leave within two years. Because they're going into a different role. Yeah. It's not the role that they left, nor nor the role that they wanted, you yeah. know, but it's, it's what they've ended up with. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not surprising that they're gonna they're gonna go pursue other opportunities elsewhere because that's not the role that they they joined the business for, is it? Yeah, yeah. But it, it certainly doesn't feel like out of those eight hundred and fifty women surveyed, that, um, the businesses have got the best end of it. <laughs> you know, they've they've got some amazing talent that they've just mismanaged, and now they've they've not got anyone. Yeah, it almost feels like they're kind of we're kind of forgotten about in some in some ways I guess um which is such a shame um because it's a huge part of their work well um, yeah and yeah we we talked a lot about um Ben and I have talked a lot about you know how we can potentially better better utilize that talent pool at the Red Cup because I think there's there's a whole host of recruiters that are working mums that need more flexibility more um underst- you know a more understanding employer and given those things could be fantastic and amazing assets to any organization. So I think it's a completely underutilized talent pool that businesses can can quite relatively simply get access to by having by thinking if the, you know, by thinking like a working mom. Yeah. And and just having a bit of empathy for that. Part of the, the women in recruitment piece, we wanted to talk a lot about female leadership, um, female managers. We definitely don't we don't have enough in the rec hub. Um, and that's something we're actively looking to improve on. This isn't a hiring pitch, <laughs> Um But uh, or is it? I mean, she thought I was going to CV seller for a minute, but <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. What's your experience of female leaders, and 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 how how do you what what do you what do you look for in in a good female leader? Do you have any female leaders that have inspired you and that that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean. It's probably important to say that um, my mum, I, I have my mum and then I have three sisters and uh, my dad unfortunately passed away when I was um, much younger. So my mum pretty much single-handedly raised us. So I've always like been very amazed by kind of female uh, leadership in general. And I think it stems from uh, seeing my mum raise us. And um, so there's four daughters. My oldest sister um, is a doctor um, and my other sister's an um, amazing business entrepreneur and my other sister's an English teacher. So... I just think my mum's done a pretty spectacular job single-handedly. So I'm always seeking that anyway, anywhere. Um, and I've always been um, empowered by women. Um, and I've had uh, different uh, female managers throughout my career. Um, and I've had 
senior stakeholders that have been women, um, particularly Michael Page, that have been quite impressive um, and very talented uh, at what they do. Um, but I think something that I feel like I noticed is I feel like when women um, hit a certain point in their career, I feel like they have to not necessarily disregard, but lose some of those traditional female traits um, in order to make them a more successful manager and maybe take on more masculine traits. So maybe taking on um, kind of more, I guess, di direct, um, kind of bullish, kind of... Aggressive. Yeah, yeah. To, to feel like they succeed, especially in re the recruitment agency world. And... Um, Whereas for me, I think really talented managers... Irrespective of sex, they could be male or female. Yeah, you know. um, are people that are really empathetic and have emotional intelligence, are really kind of um, synced in with their um, uh, with their colleagues. And my um, manager at Michael Page, um, Christopher Bradbury, was incredibly talented at that. And he was a man, but he took, I guess, more traditional feminine... Feminine traits. Traits of being... Um, allowing his vulnerability to show as well and um being uh, inspirational but in a very different non-aggressive way yeah and for me that i would be completely loyal to him like yeah. again and again because i just thought his his uh, managerial style was really interesting maybe that's a maybe that's where you know like you say when when some women hit a particular point in their career and they want to go to the next level whether it's a, an assumption or are we are, are the you know some of these businesses creating barriers to the to those women getting to the next level without demonstrating some more masculine traits or typically masculine traits, whereas uh, men can be more vulnerable because they they are men and therefore they don't have to. I don't know. It's a very different one, isn't it? But um, I've read I read the stat the other day, and this could just have. This could just be anything because I've got no back, no backup or source. Um, so I could just say whatever I want. <laughs> However, I'm pretty certain it said uh, 79% uh, that there was a survey of employees that were more likely to, 79% of them were more likely to follow a vulnerable leader, male or female. And showing vulnerability is is that, that empowering to, to people that are working for you. Whereas typically, I don't know, for, from my from my career, showing vulnerability is is considered a weakness, you know. Um, whereas that's just something that I'm learning at the moment as a, a leader within the recruitment world is actually being vulnerable. It not only it feels better, yeah. Like you don't have to just hold all of this shit up inside and you know worry about it, but actually you can talk about it, and and that resonates with such a, a wider audience um, because they realise or, or people feel connected to you more because they've experienced the same things so i completely understand where you're coming from there i, I think you're right and I, i'm sticking back as a my, my managers and i've done actually linkedin posts about this and i think the best regardless of of kind of sex the best managers i've had have just demonstrated everything that, that we've just been talking about a lot of empathy much more caring very open quite vulnerable actually I think those things build trust. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it transpires that the vast majority of my managers and leaders that have displayed that, and I've worked really well with, have been women. Yeah. Um, but thinking back, I'm, I don't think we should be def defined by that. I think that vulnerability is thread. It's something we talk about at the Red Cup all the time, isn't it? Like, 
we should be more vulnerable and be more open because it does does build connection. But it's, it's again, it's just one of these weird kind of societal dichotomies that dichotomy, big word. <laughs> so many big words. How did big words in this podcast? Sorry, I'm just an idiot. When you get to a certain point, I think men, and again, this is this is assumptions and bearing in mind we're yeah. the, two people here or two guys here talking about women in the workplace, which feels a little bit, a little bit insincere anyway, but from our assumptions of my gender set, from our experiences, like it's, it's when men get to a certain point and they express vulnerability, I think that's celebrated. But when women get to a certain point and maybe they have to adopt these male traits because them being vulnerable is then discouraged. So it's again, it's just it's weird. Yeah. If, if women are seen to kind of get vulnerable or, or emotional, they're seen as maybe their emotional regulation isn't very strong. They meet, like, I, I've actually had that feedback before because they I was kind control of, themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of, I think people get more like panicked or something that they're going to like go off on, like, and it's, it stems from, it, it stems from going back to like, years and years of, of women in history having like hyster- hysteria and needing valium like it, it stems from that kind of history that we have so it's is it a working process but i think you're right i think maybe women take on these masculine traits because maybe it's not a safe space for them to to demonstrate more feminine traits and also the the, the traits that we've talked about are being more openly discussed and talked about being positive irrespective of sex also yeah you know being open honest transparent vulnerable empathetic all good things the next point that we were going to talk about which affects not only women in women in recruitment and talent but but just sort of parents as a whole Mm -hmm. is uh you you sort of talked about networking at night um, and it's uh, it's topical because the Red Cup have recently made some changes internally to, to sort of have a look at this and impact this based on feedback that we were getting from, from our employees. And and that was that the changes we made were to focus on doing daytime get togethers and, and activities and um, team meetings, um, but then also to focus on doing them um, particularly with remote first business. We have people, we bring everyone together once a quarter. Um, and that often means that they have to stay overall. Um, and so we do that on a Thursday so that it doesn't impact their weekend or time with family, albeit that is asking them to stay on a Thursday night. Um, but we give them the choice and the option. They can go and come or, or they can stay. It's, it's entirely up to them. Um, so what, what's your, what's been your experience of, of, uh, of sort of, you know, I suppose it's more about, about engagement, culture and, and, and sort of, ne- you know, networking with your team. Yeah, absolutely. So I think particularly in recruitment, a lot of recruiters, especially um, who are part of an agency, they're incentivized um, by big parties or bread letter days or, um, you know, we've, we've hit budgets, let's all have a big night out. And I, I love a big night out. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> like <laughs> well, Five months and five days sober and it's killing me. And um, so, uh, you know, as, as a, a um, kind of 20 year old in my early career at London, I was loving going out all the time and then I obviously get pregnant and then um when I realized that kind of everyone was having the after work drinks you know um on a on a Friday night on a Thursday night I was obviously like gosh I really can't be part of this at all nor do I want to be part of this being eight months pregnant walking around London um with anyone um but it really kind of dawned on me then um and especially now obviously having to do the nursery pickup I'll never really unless it's a very much planned 
be able to do those kind of nights out, be able to do that socialization. And, and you do really socialize with teens on those nights out. They are actually, they are, they can be quite productive, not just to get drunk, but they actually can be quite, you know, conducive in some ways. They allow you to particularly bond with potentially people that are going to be responsible for your next career moves. A- absolutely. Yeah. Because sometimes you, you're, you're having, because the barriers are down a little bit, you can having more like interesting conversations with with stakeholders or like your next manager, as you said. And and I did just kind of realize that you are excluded from this if you're obviously not participating in these events. And this just isn't for parents. If you're religious and you don't drink, yeah. that's something to kind of be aware of. Um, or um, if you're just not wanting to drink for your own personal reasons, it does exclude people. Yeah. And I think um, the fact that you're completely t- conscious of that and looking at doing daytime things is... It's, it's really impactful and I, and I think it will make a difference for people. Yeah, for sure. And I think we, we are, like you say, I think the world is changing and, and these these topics are becoming a lot more, you know, prominent yeah. in, in, you know, a lot of companies. Um, it's funny, I was talking to a, uh, a VP of people for one of our clients in Berlin and she'd done a survey to say, you know, what, how can we become more inclusive as an organisation? How can we, in, you know, how can we make it, you know, better, more more attractive for you to come into the office? This is coming out of COVID and, and you know, trying to re re-engage people back into the into the office. Um and she she put out a survey expecting, you know, like having it let's have a games room, let's have uh, you know, cereal bar or, you know, all of these things. And it was completely the opposite. It was have a uh uh um allow kids into the office. Right. It was ha- we don't have a prayer room, so I don't like coming to the office because I have to leave often to go for prayer. Yeah. Um, it was baby changing units. It was things like this that, that encourage people back into to the workspace. And it was no nothing was about games. Nothing was about the fun and thrills of work. It was about actually being an inclusive organisation, which is, uh, yeah, really surprised me, actually. Sometimes I think a lot of agencies may be um, looking to that age range of like 20 to 30 like 20 late 20s as like this is what everyone wants yeah it's it's really nice it's up to a certain point i i think yeah because people's life changes a hundred percent i like you i think i started at 2021 in in recruitment i'm 24 now um i'm a it's a dad joke i'm allowed that now um so uh i uh yeah and and I could not work. I I was thinking about this the other day. I don't think I could be a recruiter or start a world in a world of recruitment in my twenties now. In my young, like twenty twenty one. Yeah. Remote. I, that would be impossible. Because yeah. that that was. Do you know what? That's how I fell into love with recruitment. Yeah. Was those you know those wild nights out and all of those incentives and uh, the structure because there's a lot to learn in recruitment and the structure and discipline that I, I enjoyed. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, now having, if I was to, to onboard as a trainee or rookie recruiter remotely, I, I don't think I'd do anything. It'd be difficult, really difficult from home in your bedroom. Especially because you need to be, what I learned the most is being surrounded by, um, directors or senior people in the office that would have these conversations with candidates and you you, as I think, as a you, you're kind of a sponge, and you're just taking bits and snippets of what everyone's saying that sounds like or holds weight, or you know, yeah. that say stuff that has gravitas. And I think that's how you learn your own little pitch. Not only 
on a on a, a skills based recruitment level, but on a social cues level. You know, like don't act like that. That's fucking stupid in the workplace to be doing that type of thing. Because you know, particularly rookie recruiters start eighteen to twenty, yeah. twenty one. They're just coming out of university where sort of social cues are pretty skewed. You, you know, you're you're pretty drunk for most of your your university time. Um, so then you're going into the workplace for the first time, and and it's some recruitment agencies it can be considered like an extension of university grad programs or whatever. Then yeah, it, it kind of is your natural progression. And those even those talking about social cues, those public dressing downs in the office, which might be frowned upon, but if you've got your boss having a go at you at your desk, and have experienced a number of, I'm sure, I'm sure he has. And again, it's a learning experience for yourself and other people, right? Yeah. Being kind of instructed to do something rather robustly in front of a room full of people i think that does have a positive or negative that does have a greater impact yeah. than over a slack or over a yeah. zoom call or whatever although although I, I i love slack we couldn't work without slack yeah. um i i was talking in in a previous podcast and um uh, with with a number of people in the office the other day where someone was struggling to get hold of somebody they never get back to me. They never, you know, it takes forever to get a hold of them. Did you bring them? No, I've messaged them multiple times. How about trying to phone them? That might help. What do you think of that? Start there. Yeah, that that was something I really um, introduced uh, at Klarna. There was a lot of emails going out to candidates and, and stuff like that. And um it's so there's no everyone's so afraid to pick up the phone and just and just speak to people um even even candidates themselves like they didn't expect a phone call which is which is which is crazy to me a lot of the time but um man do they appreciate it and do they trust you more and do they tell you a little bit more about how they actually feel about rather than they would in an email email slack you don't understand someone's tonality or how they're saying it you can't appreciate the empathy in someone's tone or uh, the 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 urgency in i need this cv right now or you know the these other candidates are going to get in ahead of you or whatever it might be there is you, you can create so much um you can you can add so much depth to what you're saying speaking it as opposed to just writing it on a on an email so Rose, as we've done with a lot of our other guests we um Actually, we ask everybody when, and you will ask you to this after the podcast to write a question for future guests on the pod. So we've got a couple that other guests have wrote, and then at the end we ask you to randomly pick a card, and there will be a a random question on there. Not too random, still related. Um, and then it'll be interesting to get your get your answer. So we'll get you to pick a card, if you will. What will be? <laughs> <laughs> Let me first. Uh, so the question is, what will be the biggest change in talent, in brackets, recruitment over the next two years? Big question. To be honest, you could, yeah. What's your thoughts, though, Rose? Well, I mean, my first thought is, yes, I do not know. Is is truthfully, I, I don't know where recruitment will be. And I think there's a lot of um, new tech in place and there's a lot of talk around um, tech, you know, making shortcuts um something that i find awful is um when you can uh, have ats systems that sometimes internal uh, companies use um, and then ats systems will ultimately um 
automatically look through a, a CV and they look at the CV and the job description. And if there's like a certain percentage that there's a match, your CV will automatically get put through the yes pile. And if there's if it's under a match, it will automatically get put through the no pile. What's so dangerous relying on something like this is, and I've done it, there's certain tests where you can do it, um, is if you say something like motivated rather than hardworking, you might not be a match. Um, so it comes down to, you know, grammar and and also people's language which i think is really foolish to expect a robot to to do that and so there's been a lot of talk around tech like that but i always will feel strongly that people are people and this is such a personal thing someone's job search and i don't believe that tech will ever get to that point and because i think there are ats systems are trying that and i just don't think it works and I think you're losing out on on really good. Time. If anything, with with companies that are tr- that are all you know as as a whole, we're trying to push to be more, you know, inclusive, diverse, and less bias. I think we do a lot of work uh, with people around unconscious biases and, and and that. And actually, that tech is supposed to 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 improve those metrics, but in reality, potentially could be making them worse um because i'm not using a, a particular language i'm completely removed from a from a, a process they were now in the remote world of kind of a, almost a global telephone people might be applying in english which is their second even their third language saying as um someone that might be perfect for that role because it doesn't their application doesn't sit well with the ai the bot that sits in behind the yes yeah this this doesn't seem on a more positive, on a more positive note, I think for me, the next two years, I think we're going to see a continued development of talent at the table. Um, what I mean by that is I think over the last sort of five years or so, we've really seen people within talent come to the, get a real seat at the table um, with with strategy, business strategy, decision making, you know, it's not just the, you know the, the the big wigs sit around decide we need 20 hires and then go throw that request at a recruiter you have people sitting at that table discussing strategy how you know is 20 the right number how are we going to achieve that and actually having real genuine conversation um at a much higher level which i think we're going to see continued progression in more businesses um around that absolutely yeah um, and i and i think that is actually why for me i felt like Maybe this world Klarna was quite interesting, but it, it's it's um, we know the market. We we know what our competitors uh, or what the company's competitors are offering. We yeah. we know how realistic they're being. We you know so absolutely being part of strategy is is, is definitely something that I would agree with. Yeah, and I think um, secondly to that, um, you know, and um, Ben's uh, Ben's a director of growth and and heads up our branding. And I think what we're going to see is a much bigger rise in employer branding and how businesses not only market their products for for selling but how they market their their businesses for hiring um because i think that's it, it firstly it, it, it helps us when we're, we're out there selling you know if you're selling klana and, and they've got a terrible brand it makes your your life an employer brand it makes your life a bit more difficult um and uh, and also helps uh, create a more organic pipeline so you know you can spend less on recruitment 
costs because you've got a better brand. People want to work for you, so on and so forth. So I think we're going to see a much bigger uh, rise of, of employer branding over the next two years and, and a much heavier influence of that on how we operate as talent acquisition professionals. Yeah. I, I think so. I think we're going to see a, and again, this is a complete kind of finger in the air, but I think we're going to see more of a convergence of our EVP, traditional EVP channels and our consumer facing channels. So I think there's always been that battle right between the people team that want access to LinkedIn and want Instagram to put the people messages out. And also the sales and marketing team want that to generate leads and to generate business because it's a consumer channel. But I think the way that businesses market to the consumer and market to potential hires, I think that's going to start kind of converging into one. And I think as the market and consumers are more aware of companies, employ brands of how they treat their people at the moment with all these big layoffs and stuff, that's more prevalent than ever because think back at it a while ago, how often were companies in the news for how they're treating their people. Yeah, yeah. It was specific, yeah. but now there's more of a, there's more of a public awareness about that or consumer awareness. I think we are going to see a kind of a melding of how we talk to consumers and how we talk to hires and customers all come, come into one. The well, night. well, look, I think that's a wrap from us. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Rose. Been an absolute pleasure. Um, and uh, yeah, ciao for now. very different so when you are working in a company which is uh, um, selling used cars uh, uh, online uh, and then you move to to, to the sex toy industry yeah. yeah yeah there's a massive difference in fact uh, you can not just because they're not second no definitely not we are talking about the kind I mean the positions can be called the same and uh, it's a kind of same role and we're looking for, for probably same people for the same positions but uh, yeah, there can be reluctances to to join the the company. 